You've heard me talk about CTC Math for some time now, but have you tried it yet? CTC Math provides online video tutorials that make learning math easy and effective. This online math program uses creative graphics and animation that are sure to grab and keep your child's attention. Start your free trial today by visiting ctcmath.com. That's the letter C, the letter T, the letter C, math.com. Before we start, I have something so cool to share with you. Picture this, learning a new language with your family, not through tedious grammar lessons or memorizing lists of vocabulary, but by engaging and conversing in the new language, just like the way your kids naturally picked up their first language. Feels intuitive, doesn't it? This refreshing approach is the heart and soul of TalkBox.mom. TalkBox.mom is a unique language program that empowers you and your kids to start talking in a new language from day one. Yes, you heard that right, day one. TalkBox.mom is designed to turn your home into a vibrant language immersion environment. No more monotonous grammar drills. Instead, you and your children learn together, naturally and joyfully, in the midst of daily life. This approach aligns perfectly with the philosophy we embrace here at Brave Writer. And here's something extra special. For our Brave Writer podcast listeners, TalkBox.mom is offering $20 off your first box and phrasebook bundle. To begin your bilingual adventure, just visit TalkBox.mom Brave. Choose your language and remember to use the coupon code BRAVE. Start talking from day one with TalkBox.mom and add a whole new language dimension to your brave journey. Hey, Melissa. Hi, Julie. How you doing? Ah, I am ready to relax and have some summer. Me too. Thanks for battening down the hatches with Dawn last time. I appreciated it. I had the week with my kids. And it's weird to call them kids because they're full-grown humans. (laughs) (laughs) My grandkids were here. It was just, it was delightful. You just moved. I did. And we, as of last week, we're out of the old place. We're in our forever home and I get to plant a garden and I'm just super happy and oh tired. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> exactly. Happy. Right. Oh, same. I had my ki- grandkids here and one of them was taking his first steps and the others were running all around the house and I am exhausted. Today I was, I went to the Taylor Swift concert with my adult kids and then today they were all gone and I have had a hard time working. I am like, <laughs> exhausted. And then, Melissa, I think about these moms in particular, maybe dads, who are just coming off of a full homeschool year. And then they're into summer, but they don't actually get a break because those same humans that they homeschooled wake up in the morning in summer and still need (laughs) things to do. Right, right. In some ways, the pressure can be even more intense to keep kids busy and think of things to do, I think, when when it's summer or downtime or low tide or... (laughs) Right. And that's exactly what we want to talk about today. 
that just because you, quote, don't have a school schedule or whatever routine or the predictability of your days doesn't mean you don't feel pressure. Um, A lot of times parents in the summer feel a very unusual kind of pressure. They've got kids that they want to be creative and use their time for exploration, imagination, you know, physical activity like swimming or playing in the backyard, but they don't want the responsibility of planning because let's face it, we're all kind of burned out on running the schedule and planning all during the school year. And so you kind of hit this crossroads where boredom becomes a bad word, right? Like a child (laughs) saying they're bored is almost like an insult. Like, don't tell me you're bored. I need a break. Go figure it out. I've been figuring out your life for a year. It's your turn to be in charge. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. It seems like that's when we start trotting out the things. Like when I was a kid, my mom didn't see us until the streetlights came on and we came home for dinner. We weren't allowed in the house. (laughs) Do you think even some of those memories are accurate Like, I remember very clearly having all the kids on my driveway with their roller skates. (laughs) And my mom would be called out to supervise an argument. I remember she kicked out my neighbor one time and told her she couldn't be on our driveway because she was being such a bully. Um, She'd bring out lemonade. Uh, If we were going to play into the night, we had to tell her where we were. It wasn't (laughs) quite as free as the romantic memory serves. (laughs) What do you think? My mom worked. Um, so there was a lot of like, we were kind of on our own, but it seemed like there was always, sometimes we went, you know, she had a friend whose house we stayed at and that mom was, was the one who was providing snacks. Um, I remember as a mom, it was a big shock to me to, to discover that when kids came over to play, I was expected to provide snacks. What? (laughs) That is so funny. Uh, here, have some dry Lucky Charms. That's all I got. <laughs> oh my God, Melissa. <laughs> For those who don't know, Melissa doesn't cook. Her husband does all the cooking. So this is hilarious that snacks, <laughs> providing snacks would feel like a huge burden, don't you think? <laughs> okay, I love that so much. So today what we want to do is just kind of look at how to get through the period of the year that most people agree is not official homeschooling. Now, there are some of you wild things who just keep going. You call yourselves year-round schoolers. I don't know when you ever take breaks, so you can just tune in and feel superior to the rest of us. But by the time July hit, I was definitely off duty and wanted to be. Did you feel like that, Melissa? Did you have a sense of like, things are going to be really different in July than they are in like February? It has really varied depending on where we lived and mm. also the before and after of my my fourth child, the only one who went to school, when he went to school. Got before it. that, we did we tended to do our more, you know, intense schooling or structured times in the winter and the summer because we lived in Virginia and ah. <laughs> it was hot. And then I wanted to be outside in spring and fall. But then we moved to California and my son started school and we suddenly were much more keyed into a traditional academic calendar. Mm. I think for me, when we moved to Ohio and discovered that swimming pools, weirdly, were only open in the summer (laughs) and that (laughs) you like had to join a club or a Y to go to one in LA, you could just pay two bucks and go to the local high school swimming pool and I, suddenly I was in this world where swimming pools were like a precious commodity. 
um, I really wanted to maximize that feeling. You know, we would go to Kings Island, the theme park, and we'd go to the swimming pools that we could in the gym uh, at the Y. And so I think for me, as I look back now, summer was a time to really change up the experience of our family. You could sleep in more. There was a lot more flexibility, but flexibility can sometimes increase the percentage of the day that is spent as a wandering nomad in your own house, right? (laughs) Right. It's where the children are like, I can't think of anything to do. And I have this, I want to talk about this word boredom with you, Melissa, because for years I would hear all the time, when my child's bored, I just give them a chore and then they never tell me they're bored again. Personally, don't love that. I have always felt like, why punish a human for being bored? And why is the thought that if you're just bored long enough, you'll suddenly be spontaneous and creative? Why do we believe that? To me, that's a bit of a myth. I know for me that I am the most creative, the most spontaneous when there are suggestions at my fingertips. But if I have like a blank slate in front of me, like literally today, that was me this morning. I couldn't remember a single thing that I need to do for my job. I I was a wandering nomad. So I just started washing clothes. I did chores. And then I sat on the telephone for two hours with a friend because I was like, I can't remember who I am or what I can do. I have no idea what my human capabilities are. Should I write a book? Should I work on work? Should I knit something? I I have no idea what I'm capable of. So I'm just going to waste time. (laughs) To me, that's what boredom leads to is time wasting more than like this amazing surge of adrenaline. What is it like for you? Yeah, I think people conflate the sort of downtime, the, the brain space to think and have ideas be bubbling in the background. They conflate that with boredom, which is something different. For me, boredom For me, it's about decision fatigue, like, or option paralysis. I remember as a kid, I would go to the library and get 15 books and come home. And every one of those books looked amazing to me. And I couldn't figure out which one to read first. And at home, just none of them, none of them were grabbing me, right? And that happened over and over and over again. If I have the freedom to choose from this vast array of choices, I shut down. Oh my gosh. I love that boredom might be a part of decision fatigue. That is such a brilliant correlation. One of the things that I noticed with my kids is they weren't so much bored like being irresponsible children who don't know how good they have it because they don't have a job yet, right? My dad (laughs) used to say stuff like that. Enjoy it while you have it because someday you'll have to work. But actually what it really is, is they were used to a structure too. They knew this predictable life that you had created together during the school year. And when that changes, they suddenly, everything's in cabinets, doors are closed, right? The games are downstairs in the basement cabinet. (laughs) The, you know, cards from last year's deck, we don't know if it's 52 cards. Right. Uh, You know, the board games we've already played. They're like, I'm in this ocean of freedom and I don't know what choice I can make. Like, what if I pick a game like Risk that takes three hours and then you say we're going to target? I don't want to start a game that I can't finish, right? Or I need a partner (laughs) to play Risk and my younger sister is terrible at Risk and it's the only thing I actually want to do, so I'm bored because the thing I want to do, I can't actually make happen, so I don't know what else I can make happen. 
I think that's a little bit what boredom feels like. That makes so much sense to me. And I think sometimes when parents are getting frustrated about what they perceive as boredom, what they're really maybe frustrated about or concerned about is that they see the children consuming rather than creating. And they want them to be creative and be doing fun, imaginative play. Um, And why aren't you building forts? And so, but really what it is, I think there's a lot of parental guilt over when we see our kids just spending all of the day consuming other people's creative media. Correct. And I think that feeling, I mean, we're hinting around the edges, the easiest thing to imagine doing in a vacuum is the thing that requires the least of you. And so you could just log on and play Minecraft. Like you already know there will be other participants. There's a game mechanism and structure that you know how to follow. And so you can immediately feel engaged, right? That's that the equivalent for an adult who isn't a gamer might be turning on your favorite rerun when there's a vacuum instead of reading a book, right? Mm -hmm. There's just this like, what can I default to that will fill this time that stimulates me just enough that I'm not bored. And we all do it. Someone else might just go get a bag of potato chips, right? Like mm-hmm. we have ways that we default to get away from the feeling of aimlessness. Right. And that's and the thing, right? Some of those ways, the ones that are easiest for me to access, I feel the worst about later. So or even true. during, you know, if even I'm, during. If I have some free time and I have all these projects that I've been wanting to get to that have been backburnered because I was super busy and now I have a little bit of time and I'm just, you know, watching Lost uh, for the eighth time, (laughs) I'm, there's a big chunk of me that even as I'm enjoying watching it, I'm restless, I'm uneasy. Yes. I think that happens to kids too. I think it does too. And I think part of it for children in particular is we forget about ease of access or the way that something visual will stimulate their creativity. And so in The Brave Learner, I talk about um, my friend Dottie who set up this art table. And I kind of want to set the stage for those of you who haven't heard this story. When I was living in Morocco, I didn't have kids yet. And Dottie and Bill, my friends, had children and they lived in this apartment. And I went to visit them one time. We had, um, the Super Bowl had already happened in the United States. And we had all made this agreement that none of us would find out who won the game because these are all expatriate Americans living (laughs) in Morocco. And so we would wait for someone to mail us a videotape of the game and then we would all watch it together. So uh, yeah, and months later, I don't know, you know, in today's uh, digital media (laughs) world, this would have been utterly impossible. Right. So the video arrives and we all come over and I walk into their house. And as I open the door, there are wet towels on the floor leading from the door to the bathroom. To the right, there's Dottie and a bunch of kids and adults making bagels from scratch so they can make pizza bagels. They had to make the pizza sauce from scratch, shred the cheese, make the bagels. Like, you know, in America, pizza bagels, an easy thing. In Morocco, it's like a from scratch, amazing project, right? (laughs) Um, In the next room were men watching football. And then I look over to my left and there is this table that I like to call the art table. There was a clothesline with clothespins with drying art projects, like paintings. 
There was clay. There were pipe cleaners. There was yarn. There was felt and needles and thread and all various stages of projects in process with children all over that side of the room. And then there was a big water station. She had floors that were like tiles. So water was good. And they were like playing, pouring water, measuring cups, like all of it. It was all happening like a circus in this house. And I remember saying to myself, that's what I want. (laughs) When I have children, I want this. Because what I felt when I walked in, not only was liveliness, but invitation to participate. All I wanted to do was make every project that was out. I wanted to both make pizza bagels and paint a painting and do modeling clay and get in the water (laughs) and watch football. Like I wanted all of it. And to me, the the boredom buster is the feeling of invitation, not withholding. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. When you said invitation, I was like, light bulb, light bulb. (laughs) Because yes, that's it. You want to feel like you have these appealing options in front of you and they're inviting and they're ready for you. There's very little barrier to entry. Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, I'm learning something about my mother who is at assisted living and they schedule activities every day. And when I walk around that place, there's a table where all the card games are. There is a table where a puzzle is always in process. They have certain times of day that they get a pool noodle and a balloon and they hit it around like some kind of version of pickleball, but it's for like really elderly people. I immediately notice that my grandchildren love noodle. They call it noodle ball. Love noodle (laughs) ball. I'm like, that's what every parent should do. Get some pool noodles, blow up some balloons and just hit them around in your backyard or in a basement or wherever it's safe. Right. But there's like, there's a time to look forward to. Like Mm -hmm. if you said to your child in the morning, after lunch, we're going to play noodle ball. That is so different than saying after lunch, oh, you're bored. If you don't find something to do, I'm going to make you sweep the deck. Right. (laughs) And so there's my 85-year-old mother and she's like, I can't come over. I've got noodle ball at one, you know? And then she walks by and sits down to work on a puzzle because it's in progress. Invitation is your eyes notice or your schedule tells you. So Mm -hmm. that you have things to look forward to and to catalyze your motivation. So I think it's a really key point that you talked about schedule and giving some sort of dropping some breadcrumbs for what's going to happen later. I always felt like one of the main things that made our summer or low tide time really work for us was that there were elements of our regular daily rhythm that always stayed in place. It wasn't a schedule per se. It was a rhythm so that you knew that there was a time of day when we would be reading together. And obviously there were mealtimes and there was a time of day when we would go out for a walk. It didn't have to be by the clock. It was a loose rhythm. I think it's okay even to introduce a new rhythm for summer. So maybe the mornings are always completely free right? And you save reading time for after lunch or after nap time. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you watch a movie in the morning, whereas during the school year, you only did them after 4 Mm p.m. There is something about changing the expectation, especially around reward. So if you were always a family who like saved video games for after all the work, 
summer could be the time where breakfast is followed always by video games first, <laughs> right? And your kids get that delicious feeling of like breaking the rules in the summertime, right? And then maybe after um, your nap time, you read books aloud or your child who's still working on phonics has a chance to practice, or maybe you play some board games where kids have to use math skills. And so you just kind of flip the script a little bit to give your kids a sense that they are not just being tricked into school during the summer. Right, right. And that like planning on or committing to a time of day when you were going to play games together, I think that's huge. I think that that is such a yearning that so many kids have. Play a game with me, a board game, a video game, whatever it might be. Card game, yeah. Yeah, that... And it can be so pushed to the side by adults when we are busy with all these objectives that we have in our head. Um, So giving a kid that gift of, yeah, we're going to have game time and it's going to happen like this, you know? And it can be even, I mean, gosh, summer, everybody does something that is hot and they're kind of wiped out. And that's a beautiful opportunity for a quiet time. And okay, I've had a little time to myself now. I too am refreshed. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to sit down and play a very, very, very long board game with you. <laughs> yeah. Melissa, that makes me want to just say some of our favorite card and board games. Um, so uh, immediately I thought there was a summer where we played Quiddler almost every day. And that is like a spelling game, by the way. So if you've got kids who are readers, especially even young readers, And when Katrin was learning to read, she would sit in my lap and we'd play the hand together. So she'd be my partner, but everybody else had their own hands. And this was a way that we could start building words together and she could feel a part of the game. So Quiddler was like an amazing game that felt like a game, but was really about spelling and reading and really a wonderful game for kids. What about, what's one you're thinking of? We had one like that that was called Prime Climb. Uh, And, you know, we've just recently moved. And when we were looking at all the games and deciding what to keep and what not to keep, Prime Climb made the, oh, we got to keep that one. So it kind of works for a lot of ages, but it was a a math game with prime numbers. Oh. Um, And I learned a ton, but it didn't feel mathy. It didn't feel like, like you said before, like I'm tricking you into learning stuff. It just was fun. Yes. We were super into Settlers of Catan, all the the versions, you know, the sea (laughs) version, the land version, like all of those versions. And one of the cool things about that game is that it really teaches resource management. And so there is a certain amount of understanding, like what to risk, what not to risk, how much you accumulate. Um, I feel like that game, uh, Ticket to Ride, is a little bit like that, too, Mm -hmm. where you're making strategic decisions. These are very, very good for strategy building in your kids. I loved Settlers of Catan myself. Like, I was the one who'd be like, who wants to play Catan with me? (laughs) There was a long period. And it's funny, Ticket to Ride, uh, my son loved, loved, loved that game. For some reason, it just was just that much longer or something that I had a really hard time staying focused Mm. during that game. For me to stay tuned into one of those longer games, especially for me, what gets me is when the thinking time while the other person is considering what choice to make and Mm. I'm just waiting, my brain starts going in a million directions and I get antsy and I had to... um, 
employ the strategy that I learned from my son's OT way back in the day um, that we call bubblegum math in my house. (laughs) When he was a baby and he was in OT, the OT told me about something called suck, swallow, breathe synchrony. That's the first like major effort your brain learns how to coordinate these different actions at once. And for the rest of your life, using your mouth helps your brain stay focused. And so she told me, yeah, like when I would assist in classrooms, I would give the kids pretzels or gummy worms and that would help them stay focused. So we started doing it, my kids, with like gumballs at math time, right? Okay. Me sitting there in ticket to ride, waiting for my son to decide what to do. I had to have gummy bears or something to chew on. (laughs) Wow. So that I could stay in the seat and not like suddenly find myself in another room, in the bathroom or something. That's an amazing observation. I wish I had known that while I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards, because for me, that was a special kind of torture. I I just did not love Yu-Gi-Oh cards, but my (laughs) son loved them so much. So my strategy was to notice and take pleasure in him. And Uh I really never learned the rules, but I was so astonished by his capacity to retain all this information, make strategic decisions, guide me in what I should do. And that helped me stay present. Um, Other games that were, one game that's really fun for older kids uh, is called Pandemic. Many of you have probably heard of it, but that's a game where you're playing against the game, not against each other. And that game is really awesome for late junior high, high school kids. Um, another way to bring everybody together. And especially after having gone through a pandemic, they will have a special relationship to that game. We loved Apples to Apples. Oh, so good. You play that one? Yes. It's a fun, fun word game. And there's a junior version too. So yes. that one really, you know, can yep. scale up. And, ban- and Bananagrams is like that as oh, yeah. well. And, and even the old reliable ones like Yahtzee or the card game Uno, these are great games that help, you know, the brain and associating colors and shapes. Another game we had was called Cranium. It's sort of like um, Pictionary, except that it uses four different methods of guessing whatever the, the item is. You know, you could do sculpture, you could do drawing, you could do word clues. So that game is also really wonderful for sort of exercising other parts of the brain. Yeah, we enjoyed that one. And then there's that card game Set. Oh, set is amazing. Where it's it's making patterns and detecting what the pattern could be. Um, yeah, we, we loved that one. Oh. Hey, podcast family. I've got an offer for you that I can't wait to tell you about, but here's the catch. It expires on Friday, the 21st. So I want to be sure that you know about it now, especially if you're listening to this podcast as it releases For the first time ever, and possibly the only time, we are experimenting with a new offering called Plan a Semester. Plan a Semester of Classes with us. We offer you three different plans. One is for the elementary level, one is for middle school, and one is for high school. When you plan your semester with us, you will be able to register early right now using our concierge registration process. That means that when you register, you will not be clicking madly with thousands of other people. You'll be able to take some time, decide which option you want, and then send us an email and we will manually add you to those classes. Also, 
we are offering you a $50 savings on that class package. And you can pay for those classes in monthly installments through ShopPay. So you'll skip ahead of our registration line and you will be able to follow our suggested path of well-rounded writing instruction. We also plan time off between classes to prevent burnout. The progression of the coursework will build essential skills, and we offer a variety of writing genres so that your child will grow in writing fluency. Here's how it works. You're going to choose the age level below. Elementary semester is for kids 5 to 10. Middle school is 9 to 14. High school, kids ages 13 to 18. Then you will select the semester option and proceed to payment. If you have a charter school or some other grant orientation for how to pay for this class, simply enter the code CHARTER2023 at checkout, and then we will manually invoice you. Keep an eye in your inbox to download a document detailing the next steps after you register. This semester option is only good through July 21st. And then on July 24th, we open our online class registration for fall. So if you want to take a class a la carte or pick any class you like, wait until Monday the 24th and be early because it will be a click fest of parents who are trying to get into those classes. So to recap, until Friday the 21st, if you would like to take two or three classes, this fall for your kids, use our plan a writing semester of classes with us to save yourself time, money, and ensure optimal class instruction. If you would prefer to go a la carte, sign up starting on July 24th. We cannot wait to have you in our online classes this fall. Learn more at the link in the show notes, bravewriter.com slash online dash classes. Sign up early. They fill quickly. So I think if you told your kids, and maybe you don't do this every day, but maybe you say on Tuesdays and Thursdays at two in the afternoon, we always play a game. And then you keep the games all together, like in a cabinet that everybody knows about. And on that game day, you bring them out in a stack and you let your kids pick one or two games. Part of what your kids need, boredom is partly when you're unable to see the future. Like I'm bored because I have nothing to look forward to. Mm -hmm. So even if they know on Tuesday morning, the game time is at two, there is a different feeling about the day knowing that two has something about to happen. So then you've got like the morning to do something else because at two, it's already decided. But if the whole day is blank, it gets very, very tedious. Um, One of the things that I wanted to offer as another boredom buster in my view, besides the art table, and you can read about that in The Brave Learner if you're looking for like the detailed list of things you can provide for art, uh, is a dress-up station. This works especially well for kids under 12. It would be awesome if you bought one of those like portable clothing racks on wheels, or even um, one of those uh, dryers that you use in the basement or whatever for hang drying clothes so that you've got racks. And Mm. if you put dress up clothes on hangers, rather than just throwing everything in a hamper where it's undifferentiated, 
they are much more likely to try something on if they see the outfit hanging. And then a place for shoes and a place for hair accessories. Make sure there's a full-length mirror near where they put on the clothes. In other words, the fun of dress-up is seeing yourself. So get a mirror, right? And it's so much fun if you've got face paints or makeup you don't care about that they can use. And honestly, that's another one of those for having it out, maybe even near the picture books that you keep. And you can tell your kids, you can't think of anything to dress up to be, go get a picture book and be one of the characters in there. You know, you might want to be a rhino or you might want to be the guy who does caps for sale or you might want to be the little girl who's a princess, but <laughs> you can get inspiration and then use this accumulated dress up clo- clothing to perform those characters. You're once again talking about access to materials that spark creative play and are just fun to fiddle with and explore. I think the best compliment I ever got was from a friend who had spent a lot of time at my house who described my my decorating style as early Waldorf. I um, love it. <laughs> because, you know, with little kids, it was, it to me, it felt like the, the easiest thing in the world to keep them happy was to just have baskets or shelves with fun stuff that they could access at all times. To rotate it out, not to overwhelm them with options. Because as I said, I'm like easily, (laughs) easily overwhelmed by options. But that access, just like Dottie's art table, it's, it's so important. And it's important for me as a creative too. When I clean up, then I don't make stuff. That's right. You have to be able to tolerate a little bit of mess and chaos for boredom to go away. Because if the preoccupation is in making sure the house stays really neat, then your kids feel a little bit like they're in a straitjacket, like they can't tell you what they want to do because, hey, I want to do paper dolls, but it means cutting and there will be little bits of paper all over the floor. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't like that. So I can't even tell you I want to do that. So you have to almost like set the stage. Like one of the activities I loved when I was young And this, by the way, is before printers and photocopy machines are in your own house. So I just want you to know my own mother's dedication. But we used to get this pattern. We had this pattern of um, ball gowns for women in the 1800s. And we had a paper doll cutout that I had gotten from some dime store. And my mom went and photocopied. She traced the ball gown pattern and then photocopied a whole bunch of them and brought them home. And then I would color them in and cut them out and just keep changing the outfits. But that took some imagination on my mother's part. She Mm -hmm. saw me really into this and then thought, how can I make it more accessible to her? What can we do to help her have more success? That's a little bit the mindset. Um, I remember with Barbie dolls, that was so powerful for me is to make them homes. We never actually played with them in the homes. The whole goal was to make the homes. We would take um, paperback books and we would um, put them sort of like spine up and pages down. So it's almost like a little tent. And we'd use those to make walls on the floor, huge areas. And then we would put furniture. And um, I used to use a photo album as a dance floor. And I had like a, a piano jewelry box that went in the dance floor. And, you know, you just use the materials in your house, but your kids don't know they're allowed to do that right? Like someone had to tell me, hey, it's okay if you take the books off the shelf and make a Barbie house. And then here's how (laughs) you do it. You know, here's a shoe box. 
here's how you can make a little habitat for all of your um, plastic animals, right? This is what it looks like to make a fairyland in the bushes outside. Your kids aren't going to know to do that. You have to start by showing them and then they can take over. That's right. I read my kids the picture book Roxaboxin by Barbara Cooney. And, and then I gave them, I made sure that there were some fun rocks accessible and I didn't have to say another word, right? Like they, it's just that little push of the, like the kid on the bike. <laughs> they're learning, they're learning how to ride on their own, but you got to help them get on that bike in the first place. That's right. Yeah. We had a tree that they wanted to build a tree house in. And of course, I had no idea how to build a treehouse. I'm picturing the Disney Channel, you know, where it's like a blueprint and an architect built like, you know, this fully functional house in a tree. So I'm like, yeah, that's not possible. And I was telling <laughs> this to Dottie and she goes, oh, no, just give them a hammer, nails and spare boards and they'll they'll get up in that tree. And my kids were, the youngest was still pretty young, but the older ones were old enough. They were like 13, 11 and nine. And um, I was really dubious about this. They they hammered so many darn nails into those boards. Those boards were going nowhere. They built a little ladder and then they would just put these boards across. They could sit <laughs> on them. We tested them for, you know, that they were seat worthy or whatever. But I look back at that and think of how many days it took them mm -hmm. and then how much joy they took just sitting up there when they were bored, right? So Sometimes it's like, get out of your own way and give your kids an opportunity to surprise you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes changing up just an element, making it unfamiliar makes everything fresh. Like I would find that if we built a blanket fort or, oh. you know, then all of a sudden the things that they could have been doing all along became interesting because now they're doing them in a fort. Totally. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the book nooks, the little artists, like if you want your kids to paint, get an easel. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll do it instantly. Right. A little right. book nook in the corner of your balcony. If you have a, a an apartment, uh, you know, anywhere where they get to be alone with a little lamp and cozy pillows and their own box of stuff. They love yeah. that. I remember one incredible summer when a couple of my kids who were very much into the warriors books, um, which are like these clans of cats who um, feud with each other and have all these cat customs. Um, they spent that whole summer making cats out of Sculpey and having this elaborate, like the whole table um, was just filled with little Sculpey creatures. And there had to be like my job in that, besides providing the Sculpey in the first place, that was all I needed to do. But no, I also had to make sure that the toddlers <laughs> didn't get in and smash everything flat. So you think about that as part of my role in a fun summer or in a situation where I'm trying to cultivate kids' creative play. I am like a stage manager making sure that the, the moving parts are present and that there are no obstacles to the fun as yes. far as I am able to control it. That's right. Yeah. And for the little babies in particular, the little toddlers, you know, they just need water and supervision <laughs> and mud, like get a good right. sprinkler, get a little outdoor pool, give them the opportunity to be messy and splashy. Especially if you live in the North where it gets cold in the winter, that's such an, a contrasting experience to their daily lives, right? So 
giving them that is so important. Um, Did I you was guys th- paint oh. with water on the driveway? Oh my gosh, a ton. <laughs> That is like the most, it's It's so so satisfying and it dries so quickly. So you can keep making new art with that chalk Mm -hmm. on the sidewalk is also a big one chalk on everything. Um, We used to buy garage sale furniture for the outdoors. And then I would get my old house paints and let them paint it any way Mm. they wanted. It was all very ugly, but I had lots of colorful paint. And so just getting to paint furniture versus paper, like part of what you want to think about is what feels real, what feels novel, what feels important. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't only want to baby your kids, right? Like, okay, the only thing, like, I remember we made parachutes for army men and we threw them off our balcony from our apartment. That was (laughs) so much fun. And we did it over and over and they'd have to run down the stairs, go get them, come all the way back up, wrap them back up, throw them again, see which one lands first. It's that kind of thing where there's a little bit of a feeling of mess or chaos but it it leads to a sense of exhilaration to participate. Have you ever used sidewalk chalk when it's wet? Yes. Also like, amazing. We left a huge brand new thing of sidewalk chalk out in the rain. And I was like, no. And then it turned out it was way more fun to use that way. It's so <laughs> true. In fact, that makes me think of another lesson I got from Dottie. She's like, we tend to only paint or write on white paper. She's Mm -hmm. like, but if you change the surface, you change the experience. So we would use sandpaper and pastels. Like writing on sandpaper is insanely satisfying. (laughs) And you can use all different grades of sandpaper to get different effects. Um, Writing on black paper, writing on um, uh, wrapping paper, butcher paper, um, Trader Joe's bags. Like pretty soon you just start realizing, oh my gosh, all these surfaces are so interesting. Painting on a paper plate. Like there's, I don't know. It's just once you unlock Mm -hmm. the feeling that anything goes, Mm -hmm. anything will go. You'll start to notice. (laughs) That's true. I think I realized at a certain point in time that I had an abundance of ideas for my younger kids. And then they got a little bit older. Mm. And the disappearing started to happen, right? Like everybody could very easily just disappear to their own spaces. And I had my own stuff going on. So it was really easy to realize hours have gone by. (laughs) And we've probably all been on screens. Um, So I have had to continually come up, you know, like re-engage with, okay, how are we going to connect with each other face-to-face or side-by-side? I think especially with teens, a couple of things. I was just talking with Katrin about this this week, in fact. We were talking about how you sort of branch out when you are a junior high or high school student and you've been homeschooled. Because first of all, where we live, there are are not very many places they can go. You know, the Mm -hmm. mall is just shopping. if they go to the parks and they're loitering, they'll get kicked out. Like, it's pretty frustrating. Uh, Theme park worked pretty well for us, but also like sending them to Panera to have their own (laughs) time with friends. You drop Mm -hmm. them off, they get to have this opportunity to feel a little more grown up, get something to drink, something to eat. Going to Barnes and Noble where they can shop for books together. 
young adults, I mean, young, uh, young teens, like middlers, um, that feels pretty grown up and they're homeschoolers. So they love books. Um, (laughs) hopefully usually, uh, sending them to a movie, especially today in the world of streaming services, actually Mm -hmm. going to a movie theater is pretty cool. So these are also ways to get them out of the house, go to Starbucks, buy your own Frappuccino, play chess, knit, do something interesting at Starbucks while you're hanging out with your friend. Um, Getting them out of the house, basically, with a peer mate is kind of a fun thing for that age group. (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing. (laughs) Melissa's like, I don't know what I did with my middlers. (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) I just came off of this with Katrin. It was just kind of an amazing conversation to remember the challenge, right? Because some of the stuff we're talking about is very suitable for K through seventh or eighth grade, but then there's a certain turning point where they're also wanting to test themselves outside the house. Like, mm-hmm. can I take a bike ride outside your supervision, you know, right. for an hour? Like, can I do that? Are you okay with me doing that, mom? Can we take a walk? Like one of the things my son Liam used to love to do is he'd have a friend over, this would be in high school, and they would take a walk at one in the morning in my neighborhood. Like they would stay up really late There was nowhere to go, but Uh their whole feeling of just we're out at one in the morning and they would walk and talk for three miles and then they would come (laughs) home. And I think that's what we have to remember. This age group needs risk and adventure in order to feel stimulated. Whereas like the younger set needs surprise and mystery. And those are the four forces of enchantment I talk about all the time. How can we give some risk and adventure to those you know, older kids during the summer with longer daylight hours um, and a little more time and freedom to experiment. Yeah, I'm thinking about as a kid, how much I loved just hanging out. Like in high school, we would just sit like on the swings as it got dark. Why was that so fun? And talk and talk and talk and talk. So much fun. In fact, I will say this to any parent who's, you know, doing their backyard right now. We made a decision between play equipment or a trampoline. And Mm. we picked the trampoline. And I'm telling you, best decision ever. It never (laughs) stopped being interesting. You know how play equipment with swings and slides is fun for about a month. And then everybody's like, I've been on that slide. I've already used Mm -hmm. that swing. But the trampoline continues to be interesting to teenagers. They Mm. go lay on it and look at the stars. They take their friend to the tramp to talk to them away from their younger siblings it just stayed pretty mysterious and interesting for like their whole lives. I love that. I want to. I want to jump on a trampoline. Oh my god! Or, so or lie and look at the stars. That's Something true. I did um, several summers was offer a theater camp um, to our friends and <laughs> just have the moms drop them off, and the moms would send snacks because they had my number. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And we would just play theater games and then do a little, you know, act out some like Aesop's fables and do a performance for the parents at the end of the week. That was so much fun. And kids, a lot of them, a lot of homeschooled kids haven't had that experience of playing theater games, which are their own sort of magic. Absolutely. My gosh, so true. We had, um, when my kids were living in California and we lived on this one cul-de-sac with a lot of families. In fact, at one point there were five homeschooling families on the cul-de-sac, but 
when we started this one game, we started flashlight tag. It's a tag game. You play at night with a flashlight and it got all the neighborhood families involved. Dads, moms, kids, homeschooled, not homeschooled. We used a big green belt and literally, I don't think the rules of the game made any sense whatsoever. (laughs) The goal was to like, go get a flag similar to flag football and you could freeze people by flashing them. And then once they were flashed, they had to stand still for like 15 seconds and then they could run again. And there was a certain number of flashes that put you in jail. I mean, I don't even remember the rules, but it was nighttime with a flashlight. It didn't matter what the rules were. That was enough to make everybody want to play. And that right there speaks to how uh, energizing it can be to flip normal rhythms around. Yes. You know, let everybody sleep later and let's do more stuff at night if that is appealing to to the people in your home. Today, it seems like a lot of people are hanging sheets in their backyards and using those projectors and they're (laughs) streaming movies and having like popcorn outside. I mean, I feel like the sky's the limit. What we tend to do, and this is really maybe a good way to sort of bring this to a close. What we tend to do is we assign the responsibility of boredom to children because we're tired. When really the most freedom and the biggest gift we can get from our kids is if we've stimulated them to become so engrossed in what they're doing, we will actually get the break we crave. But we don't get it if we're in this standoff with our children where we're like, I'm going to give you a chore if you're bored. And then your bored child comes at you like, I hate the chore. And now (laughs) you're just arguing, which makes for really awful life experience for everybody involved. Right. What if the chore is boring? Exactly. And wouldn't it be usually? (laughs) Although I will say sometimes just giving a kid a big bowl of soapy water and telling them to scrub the Mm. baseboards can be really fun. Some kids find that actually entertaining. So I'm not ruling it out. I think it helps if we're really honest with ourselves about what we find boring. Obviously, I don't find cooking that interesting or I would do more of it. And you talked about your mom and the paper dolls. I don't like cutting out a lot of stuff. I don't like it. So prepping those kinds of activities or doing a lot of baking with my kids is not and never has been that appealing to me. What is appealing to me? Oh, I love to sing. How about we all go to YouTube and pick a karaoke song to learn? Because I realized as an adult that it's really handy to have one or two karaoke songs in your pocket that you can just bust out and love that <laughs> and kill it. Um, so we did that one summer. We just Everybody picked a song. Um, So you can play to your own strengths. It's not like you have to suffer to create experiences so that your children aren't bored. Um, And I think that once once it starts popping, once you start thinking in that direction, like, oh, what do I find interesting? Um, What can I invite them into? Or what kind of stages can I set for them? The ideas, I mean, we didn't, I don't know that we planned to keep just riffing on so many ideas and <laughs> memories of things we did. No, they, 100%. They up. In fact, we talked about in um, the Brave Learner Home and in my book, this idea of clearing the coffee table, which is just a metaphor for take a space that everybody is used to seeing, populated with things that they're used to seeing and get rid of it all and put something new out. 
could be the kitchen table, the coffee table Mm -hmm. once in a while so that there's something new to catalyze the imagination. It could be jacks. It could be a yo-yo. It could be pickup sticks. It could also be a new board game or a new DVD. Well, we don't do DVDs anymore, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, Right. A spirograph. And don't underestimate the appeal for older kids of pulling out some of those things that were fun when they were little, like fashion plates, if those are still around. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, or, or or even younger kids pulling out some things that they've never been allowed to use. Correct. And a lock picking kit or screwdrivers and, you know, Oh, a lock picking kit. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to learn how to do that? That's amazing. (laughs) My parents gave uh, my kids a lock picking kit a few years ago. And it was such a hit that they sent another one because there were two kids who wanted it all the time. Patron literally just said, I took my binoculars with me to the Taylor Swift concert so that everybody could see her close up. And then when we came home, they were sitting on my counter and she said, mom, I can't believe you're letting us use your binoculars. I'm like, you're adults. She goes, <laughs> yes, but I, here's what's so funny is our my whole life, you, I've always heard you say to parents and you said to us, make sure everyone has their own binoculars. And I was like, I love that you remember that. And she said, yeah, that way you don't have to share. You know, and that's true too. Like this can be a time to sort of accumulate the tools that will make next year really wonderful too. Mm -hmm. Like start populating the house with um, art supplies now. Don't wait till August, Right. right? We even said earlier, if curriculum starts showing up, Put it out. Ask your kids to page through it and give you a review. Have them pick their favorite page in the curriculum to look at with you now. Not <laughs> Don't wait until the day after Labor Day and then you just foist it all on them. Let them start to get a feel of looking forward to something and that's coming. That's another form of invitation. You're yes. becoming companions and allies. Right. Instead of this is something I do to you. Yes. (laughs) And then I stop doing it and you're on your own to be a nomad. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, I swear. I wish I had heard this podcast when I was in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) I mean, my brain can't stop now. I'm like, oh, and the time that we made lunches and I sent them on a walk to the creek with a picnic. Oh, (laughs) and what about the time? You know, like my brain is doing that now because I have a whole childhood of five kids to remember. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, Julie, that's a really important point. Like we, neither of us were on point with this stuff every single day. Nope. We're talking about, you know, my oldest just turned 28. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I'm watching, like, even with grandchildren, and my oldest grandchild's only three, so we're talking very small people, but I'm watching her mother do all these activities I didn't even know existed because part of it is materials are different now, right? So Mm -hmm. the stuff they can do in a bathtub Oh my gosh, it makes bath time look really boring from when I raised kids. Today, all the stuff that sticks to the walls and the kinds of foam and the colorful everything. So really, the sky's the limit. You guys will think of stuff I haven't even thought of. Oh, by the way, twinkle lights, always a hit. Catching fireflies in a jar and releasing them, always a hit. Butterfly nets, always a hit. Badminton in the backyard, croquet. Like all the old habits are great. And if we're talking about screen time, which we didn't do very much here, but 
set a time of day when it is the time and let them really enjoy it. Have them know when that time is. You might have to stagger it if you have five kids like I do. But once they've had their time, there should be an abundance of options so that it isn't just deprivation that follows, right? Yeah, yeah. I I like um, leaving a part of the yard unmowed. Oh, moan. Um, <laughs> and seeing what happens. When you said fireflies, you made me think of that because fireflies need long grass. And that's right. And in this new house, we have a section of the yard that the lawnmower can't get to. And we've got dragonflies, which we never had at the other house because the landlord kept that one really, really closely mown. So changing up even just your home environment. Completely. And things like blowing bubbles and running through sprinklers. And I love this idea of fairy houses. Similarly, we let these two big bushes get very overgrown Mm. because there were fairies living in them. And then we would get these little men and tie strings to them and they would swing, you know, they'd swing from branch to branch. yeah. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff can be so much fun, but children need to be shown. Like they don't know that that's even a possibility to consider until somebody does it with them. Then they can kind of take it over from there. Right. They run with it and make it all the better. Okay. The last one I'll say, because I know we're trying to wrap this up, but like you said, I keep thinking of things. Geocaching. (gasps) You were a big geocacher. Please explain what that is. We did Pokemon Go, which was also (laughs) amazing, but tell me about geocaching. Geocaching was such a revelation to me. There's a website that you go to and an app that you can give your phone and it shows you there are these little hidden caches that people have left. It might be an Altoids tin with a little rolled up paper log and a pencil like and you follow um, latitude and longitude clues. You use your phone's compass to zero in on where this is and there'll be like other types of clues as well. And you find it and you le- you sign the log and sometimes you leave a little treasure and you take a little treasure. It is a wonderful way to get to know the world, like the area you live in. Um, you can also put um, trackables, which are little, little, like a little grasshopper or something that has um, a, a registration number and somebody who finds it enters the number in and then they take it and leave it. We have one that has gone around the world about three times. Wow. It's gone to Australia. It's gone to Ireland. It's gone to South America. <laughs> it's just, it's, and you can track its progress. You just watch on the website when somebody else records it. We did it locally. We went to all the parks in the area and found all the caches that we could find and then gradually started you know, going, going wider. It helped us learn the town that we lived in, in San Diego. And then we moved to Portland and we did it all over again. Oh my gosh. I am so glad you brought that up. That would be an amazing activity to start in the summer. I I mean, you just made me be like, oh, we're in a new neighborhood. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Completely. I, I will end on this one because one of the things we discovered, and this was when I had teens and middle schoolers, we discovered Frisbee golf courses. And we were terrible at Frisbee golf. We didn't play it the right way, but we got the right kind of Frisbees. And our whole family would be chasing Frisbees, throwing them at the right targets, doing the whole golf course, got us all out. We brought our dog with us. So, you know, something that sort of is collective as a family, that's an adventure outdoors. Kids do better if they're 
chasing a Frisbee or geocaching than going on a long, hot, tiring walk. So just (laughs) think in your mind, like what motivates them to keep moving? For us, it was Frisbee golf and for you, geocaching. And I think that's really exciting. There's a lot of dopamine in geocaching. <laughs> oh, it sounds incredible. I really wish we had done it. It's I, I'm going to have to get Noah to do it with Julie. his kids. Well, I guess I could, right? I in could. fact, the first time I visited Portland, we were still living in San Diego and my friend um, lived a block from Clickitat Street. And, and I was like, there's a geocache on Clickitat Street, which if you're a Beverly Cleary fan, that's where Ramona the Pest lived on Clickitat. And it was magical to me oh. to find without my kids present. That was just me. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So. Melissa, this was like the most fun I've had on an episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a trip down memory lane. All I keep thinking is I can't wait to have Lavender, my granddaughter, spend the night at my house so I can do like at least six of these ideas. <laughs> yeah. She, I told her I'm going out of town when I get back. She's, I get her for 24 hours and we're going to just cram it full of all the fun. I can't Oh, wait. that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I have, I have a whole list of stuff I want to do with my kids this summer. So. I love it. That's awesome. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Tell us on Instagram in the chat, like what boredom busters are you going to do with yeah. your kids? And If you're in Brave Learner Home, talk about it on our community coaching and let's really stir up the possibilities for each other and help our kids not feel like it's solely on them to have a great summer. (laughs) Thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Julie. Hey, everyone. I dug back into the archive a little bit because I really love this review. It's short and sweet, and I do really think it represents and resonates with a lot of us. This one comes from Marie Louise 2710, and she did a simple title for it. Julie gets it. She gets it. She's somehow able to relate to me, comfort me, and challenge me all at once. Maybe it's just the season I'm in right now, but this podcast is so helpful to my sanity. Wasn't that review awesome? This really reflects what we see right now and it's so great to see it in writing as well. Thanks everyone for your five-star reviews. It actually really helps all of us here at the Brave Writer team as well. So, you know, keep them coming. Today's episode was produced by Nova Media with support from team members, Jeanette Hall and Natalie Miele. I'm Julie Bogart author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. I'm also the founder of BraveWriter.com, an innovative approach to writing instruction. You've been listening to The Brave Writer Podcast. Until next time, keep going. Think well. I'm rooting for you.